Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. All right, so let me, um, let me read this sermon text this morning. If y'all could stand in honor of reading God's Word. It'll be out of the Gospel of John. Chapter 15, Gospel of John, chapter 15. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11 this morning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, and by my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning again, church. You know, it's interesting when you stop and think about some of the things that we do in a church service like this that we call worship. Um, and what's true of all of us that have some sort of church background is that there are things that we're very used to and accustomed to, very familiar with. And then there might be things that we're not familiar with that get done in church, maybe like New City Catechism or even what Andy just did after he read the sermon text. This is the word of God for the people of God. And the response from the church is thanks be to God. For some of you, some of these things that we've implemented into our services might be foreign, might feel a little weird. You might have some, you know, perceptions or preconceived ideas about some of these things that are attached to certain church traditions. And you go, well, that doesn't sound like us. That sounds like something that some other church or denomination would do. And so here's what I want to do today is I want to talk to us about worship And I want to talk to us about some of these things that we do in church, some of which we're familiar with, some of which we're not. And I want to get to the big why. How many of you know the why matters? I'm going to try that again. How many of you know the why matters? All right. Did y'all play in the snow yesterday? Y'all a little tired? We only got a dusting. You shouldn't be that tired, okay? So let's talk about worship a little bit. Um, Let's talk about why we do some of the things we do. At Resurrection Church, we are committed to what you might call expository preaching. How many of you have heard that term before, expository preaching? Here's what I mean by that. By expository teaching, I mean 
that the pulpit ministry at Res Church strives to lead all of us to train our eyes on the book. That this is what matters. And it matters, the message of the text matters not as much, at, the, the message of the text is what matters and not so much the messenger or the messenger's opinions. Okay? That's what we mean by expository teaching is that we're trying to elevate this. These are the words that matter. Okay, Let's think about things like communion. We do communion once a month here at Res Church. And if, you know, some of you might be like me. And when I was growing up, we did communion at Easter, Good Friday, and a couple other times sprinkled throughout the year. Once a month is a lot more regular than what I was used to growing up. Now, some church traditions take communion every week. So let's just stop and talk about why do we come to the Lord's table? Why is the Lord's Supper important? It's really threefold. I'm going to give you three things, okay? Communion is physical. That's obvious, right? We take real bread and we take real juice and we eat the bread and we drink from the cup. Communion is a very tangible, physical way to worship Jesus and it's biblical, right? Communion is also mental. What did Jesus say? Do this in... You know what communion does time after time? It's this stark reminder that Christianity is not New Age spirituality. We're not trying to get in touch with our inner self. This is not mysticism, right? Christianity is rooted in the nitty-gritty of history. Jesus really lived. He had a body. He had a heart that pumped blood, and he had skin that bled. And he really died on a Roman cross publicly for sinners that all who would believe in him would be saved from the wrath of God. And that's the mental aspect of communion is that we're getting focused on the person. We're getting focused on the bread and the juice that points us to the body and the blood, the death and the life and the execution and the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us. So communion is physical, it's mental, it's also spiritual. Taking communion in and of itself does not save us. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? But there is a spiritual nourishment that takes place. I believe when we take communion, in the, much in the same way that eating and drinking nourishes our physical body, there's something about taking communion, I think the Lord works in it, that our souls are nourished with the benefits that Christ obtained for us through his life and death and resurrection. And I think Paul spoke to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, Paul says, the cup of blessing that we bless, he's talking about communion, is it, is it, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And no, it, taking communion will not save you. Only faith in Jesus will save you. But there is something spiritual that happens in our soul when we are nourished with the fact that Jesus took our place, died for our sins, and rose to new life so that we might have new life in him. So there's no biblical mandate for how often we take communion. But we feel like for all those reasons that taking it at least once a month 
is important for our church. You might have noticed that we've also incorporated some things that you might call, don't let this word scare you, you might call somewhat liturgical. Does that word scare anybody? Liturgy. You know what? Every time we sing a song or we sing a set of songs, that's liturgy. Right? When we have a service that's planned out and there's songs we sing and prayers that we pray and a sermon is preached and there's a response, that's all what liturgy is. We've just added some elements like the reading of scripture in the middle of musical worship. Why do we do that? You realize that songs, for the most part, are commentary They are generally speaking, at least most of the time, not direct quotes from this. So what does that mean? It means it's fine for us to sing songs that are not direct quotes from the biblical text. But if we're going to do that, we best be able to root our thinking and our feeling in scriptural truth. So when we do a call to worship... When there's a text that's read at the beginning of the service or when we read a text in between songs, that's what we're doing is we're in trying to root our thinking and our feeling. Both are important. Worship's not only mental and worship is also not only emotional. It's both and. So we want to think and feel rightly by rooting ourselves in scripture when we worship through music. I think music's important. I think God designed music to move us. As we meditate on truth. And so the reading of scripture helps us do that. What about when we, just like happened just a minute ago, when Andy reads the sermon text, we say this is the word of God for the people of God and your response is thanks be to God. What are we doing? What we're doing is we're starting the sermon with this thought. These are the words that matter. They matter. These are the words that are inspired. It's like, I've used this illustration before, when a figure skater in the Olympics skates out onto the ice, he or she does not start with zero and work their way up to 10. They start with 10, and as there are flaws in their performance, deductions are made. I'm I'm not afraid to stand up here and tell you that when the text is read, that's a 10, and when Bradley starts to talk about it, deductions are made. Why? Because I'm not a perfect interpreter of Scripture. That's why we have multiple elders. I need help. (laughs) But that's why we do that. It's a way for you. And I waited, I waited for a few months before I started to talk about the why because I wanted this, I wanted you to taste, I wanted you to feel, I wanted you to see So that when we start to talk about it, you go, oh, I get that. Now what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves, we're worshiping by elevating the authority of Scripture over the authority of an elder's opinion. And we do the same thing in our life groups. That's what this is all about, okay? What about when we do confession of sin and assurance of pardon? We're going to do that next week. When we read a text in the service that highlights or it points to the deadly, serious nature of our sin, and then we let that text lead us into a time of repentance and confession, 
And then scriptural truth is read of our assurance of pardon, where we read from scripture that Jesus atoned for our sin, that we are made righteous, we don't earn righteousness. Why do we do that? It's a way for us to reinforce for all of us the necessity of we are made, we're going to talk about this, we are made clean by faith in the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. But the need for ongoing confession and repentance and turning to God for mercy and joy is essential for the Christian. And that's a way for us to reinforce that. Okay? Well, what about the New City Catechism? You know, I bet for some of you that it's like, what in the world? Are we trying to become Catholic or something? No. The catechism, I'll refer you to the paragraph that's in your printed order. And the only thing that I would add to that is that you, you notice how in the last couple of weeks we've talked about how God strengthens us in faith through the gospel. That the more we rehearse the gospel, the more we are brought to the place of utter and total dependence on God for his grace and mercy. And the more our faith grows, the more our dependence grows, the stronger we become. It's not through getting independent that we become stronger. It's through getting more dependent we become stronger. So the catechism is a way for us to rehearse the gospel. It's a way for us to rehearse along with things like the Apostles' Creed or other responsive readings or corporate prayers that we do. It's a way for us to rehearse and vocalize where we have staked our eternity. Right? All of that's important. We want to be a word and spirit church. I, when people come to Resurrection Church, our goal, our focus, our vision, our mission, when people come here on Sunday morning, is that they're going to be saturated with the word and they're going to be led to engage and encounter and experience God by his spirit. We want to think and feel. We want to read and listen. We want to lift our hands and we want to cry and we want to cry out to God and we want to engage our minds and our thoughts because how many of you understand Paul said in Romans 12, we're transformed by the renewing of our... So here's the rhythm we're shooting for. The first Sunday of every month is communion. On the second Sunday, like today, we're going to have a prayer emphasis every time. On the third Sunday, we'll do confession and assurance of pardon. On the fourth Sunday, we're going to do a missions emphasis like we did last month. We had Donnie Kaufman come up and talk about Greer Community Ministries and an investment our church made in that mission. Or we might do some testimonies. And we're also going to strip the worship down, the band down and we're going to accentuate voices. We're going to turn the band down a little bit and we're going to turn you up. <laughs> On fifth Sunday, it's still going to be our family service. We're going to have the elementary kids in here like we've been doing, but we're also going to target fifth Sundays for water baptism. And we're also this year, I'm really excited about this. We're looking to add a fellowship element to our fifth Sundays, a potluck, some type of opportunity for us to just hang out together after church. Does that sound good? So that's the rhythm we're shooting for. So now that I've given you a lot of little whys, little individual whys for all these things, let's talk about the big why. 
The big why behind all of that, and I want to look to John chapter 15, and let me just give a little disclaimer. I'm not going to exhaust this text this morning. There is so much here. Oh, one of the hardest weeks of preparation I've had yet was trying to figure out where are we going to focus in John 15, because there's so much Jesus says. Let's look at the first six verses again. Jesus says, verse 1, I am the vine, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser or farmer. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it excuse me, abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Here's the first thing that jumps out to me. Spiritual fruit bearing for the Christian is not an option. Jesus essentially says, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. You might find branches or Christians, so-called Christians that claim to be Christians and they sound like Christians. They can articulate things. There's this notion in the modern world that Christianity, being a Christian, is nothing more than simply acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. You know what's really sobering for me? Is I read about guys like Judas Iscariot who followed Jesus around for three and a half years during his incarnation in some of the most intimate settings imaginable, and he didn't believe. And he was lost. Jesus is not talking about a mere acknowledgement of him. He's talking about an abiding kind of relationship where spiritual fruit is produced naturally, supernaturally. That's what he's talking about. There's just this thing as a fruitless Christian. And so Jesus is the vine. And being a Christian means that we are connected to the true vine as branches, and the father is the farmer. And what's he doing? The, the ones that sound like a Christian, what proves over time is that there's no fruit, and the father, Jesus says, is cutting those branches away. That's a picture of judgment, and they are destroyed. But the branches that do bear fruit, the father is pruning that's a picture of discipline. How many of you really enjoyed being disciplined by your parents? Nobody enjoys discipline, but what does Hebrews tell us? It's because we're children and the Father loves us that he disciplines us or he prunes us so that fruit-bearing branches bear more fruit. So the bottom line, first six verses... There's a lot more we could talk about. The bottom line is, for the Christian, true branches that are connected to the true vine, fruit bearing is not an option. And detached from or disconnected from Christ, the true vine, we bear no fruit. Jesus says, verse 5, apart from me you can do nothing. And the Father is cutting away branches that bear no fruit 
And he's pruning fruit-bearing branches so that they bear more fruit. Now, there's some questions there. What is spiritual fruit? What does that look like? What does it mean to abide? How do we do that? Let me do something, and then I'm going I'm to give you an illustration. And then we're going to read the rest of this text, and you can verify whether my illustration holds water. Okay? I want you to test me. All right? if, if, if my illustration doesn't hold water by the time we read the rest of the text, you can say, oh, me. If it does, you can say, amen. Okay? I've been married to Mary for over 20 years. And I have an abiding kind of relationship with her that bears fruit. And what do I mean by that? Okay? For one thing, I know her. I'll bet anybody in this room $1,000, you can blindfold me and I'll pick her cough out of a crowded room. <laughs> anybody want to take me up on that? No, don't raise your hand. I really can. I know what every twist and turn of the muscles in her face means she's feeling emotionally. And the reason I know her that well, listen, is not because I've just been around her. It's not because I've just observed her. It's not because I've just been in her presence. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. Because if all I can tell you about Mary is my assumptions and my presuppositions about what I've observed from her, I don't really know her, do I? In order for me to really know her, I not only need to be in her presence, I not only need to be around her, I not only need to feel her and sense her, I need her to open her mouth and talk to me. I need to open my ears and take in deeply what she says because I need her to confirm that the twitch in her lip and the furrow in her brow means what I think it means. I not only need to be in her presence, I need her word to abide in me. With me? Now, because I have this kind of relationship with her and I'm all in with it, there's some fruit that gets produced. I love her. And because I love her, I keep covenant with her. This is not a dutiful relationship that we've got going on here. I love her, and so I want to be faithful to her. I want to be true to her. I want to have the kind of relationship with her that brings both me and her joy because I love her. You with me? Sometimes I ask her for things, and my motives are selfish. But there are many other times when I ask her for things, and I know she's going to say yes. I know. Like when I say, hey, you want me to empty the dishwasher for you? <laughs> Would you like, to put my, like me to put my folded clothes away? <laughs> or when I say to her, hey, would you like to go on a date with me this weekend? I know I'm going to get a positive response. You know why? Because we abide, her word abides in me, 
I'm in her presence. I see her, I feel her, I know her, I sense her, and I hear her. There are things that I know about her that I know if I ask her, I'm guaranteed a positive response because our desires have come in line. You with me? The more our desires come in line, the more the requests are answered in the positive. And in all of my asking, in all of my covenant keeping with her, in all of the sacrificial love that we share, spending quality time with her, do you know what's at the bottom of it all? Joy. I enjoy her and she enjoys me. We share a joy together in this abiding relationship that we have where we are with each other. Our word to each other abides. We share love, not just duty. And because of that, we share joy together. Okay? Verse 7. Jesus is talking now. He's talking about our relationship with him. If you abide in me and my what? Ooh, my words abide in you. Ask. <laughs> this, this kind of verses just blow my mind. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So, at least part of an abiding relationship with Jesus is the word abiding in us. That we open our ears and we drink this in deeply. And not just the words that are in red in the New Testament Gospels. We can expand that to the whole counsel of Scripture because Jesus is the word become. So when the word abides in us, that's at least part, I would argue a huge part, of our abiding relationship with Jesus. And here's the fruit that comes from that. At least one of them answered prayer. It is, listen, it is not wrong. It is not selfish. It is certainly not sinful for you to treasure this, to dive into it for joy, so that it abides in you with answered prayer in view. You know why? Because here's what Jesus said. When prayers are answered, prayers that are prayed by branches abiding in the true vine where the word is abiding in them, when those prayers are answered, the Father gets glory. And you know what the apex of righteousness is? The glory of God. The most righteous desire that you could ever have is that you abide with Jesus in such a way that more and more of your prayers are getting answered. Now, listen, let me clarify. This is not a name it and claim it, blab it and have it theology. If you think that's what that is, you've missed the whole point. Because the word abiding, this is not like a set of keys that we take those keys and we stick them in the God slot and turn it and get God to do what we want. Abide, the word abiding in us is much like what happens between Mary and I. Is that the more we abide, the more we listen to each other, the more our words abide in each other, our desires come more and more in line. So the reason prayers get answers when, when the word abides in us is that our desires 
are being transformed and becoming more and more in line with the will of God. So what does that look like? Let me give, just give me an example. Again, when we say this is the word of God for the people of God and your response is thanks be to God, we're elevating this. Because my words, Bradley's, abiding in you are only fruitful to the degree that I'm speaking well about this. But when this word abides in you, suddenly you... You are now in a place where the Holy Spirit's working in such a way that your desires are being conformed to be like Christ, to be like God the Father's will. And so the more you pray, the more your prayers are in line with God's will for your life and the world around you. Here's another example. Let's say this week you face a crisis. All right? Some tragic crisis. And your first response is to pray... God, get me out of this. Is that wrong? I would argue that that is a spiritual fruit. When a true vine cries out to God for help, that is a spiritual fruit. And it's not wrong. It's right. But remember, the father's like a vine dresser. He's a farmer. And he prunes. Right? I got these river birch trees in my backyard. And once a year, because that's about all I can stomach, I go out there and I prune off the dead branches. And what happens every time? The tree produces more. It grows more. Right? So that's what the Father's doing. He's pruning fruit-bearing branches so that they bear more fruit. So it's not that it's an absence of fruit for us to cry to God and say, Will you get me out of this mess that I'm in? That is a fruit. But what would it look like to bear more fruit? Take the catechism. Today, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong body and soul in both life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So imagine that we all participated in that catechism in faith today. And now that word, which is rooted in Romans 14, the question and the answer is rooted in scriptural truth. That word now abides in us. So we come back to the crisis. And your first instinct is, God, get me out of this. But then a thought comes. Wait a minute. I don't belong to me. My life is not my own. Which means my life is not just about what I might want in this moment. That God's up to something bigger and deeper. And so you, th you have that thought... That word, Romans 14, is now abiding in you through a, a, a mechanism, a tool like the catechism. And you start to think and you start to dig a little bit more and you start to read the words of Jesus where he says things like this. That if you're going to come after me, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. Or you start to read where Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he begged God to take it away. And what was God's response? My grace is enough because my power is made perfect in your. Or you read where Paul says things like this, that I want to know. Everybody say no. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. Everybody says amen to that. And the fellowship of his. And that knowing Christ in that way, at that level, at that depth, 
had led Paul to the place where he would look back on all his losses and say, that's rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Did you see how we just got a whole lot deeper in a crisis? Because the words abiding in us, because we're abiding in Jesus, his words abiding in us, and all of a sudden, maybe we're praying a little bit differently. It's not wrong to say, God, get me out of this mess, and he might do it immediately. But he also might lead you to pray, God, give me grace. Give me strength so that in the midst of my suffering, I bring you joy, I bring you glory because my joy in you is not contingent on circumstantial reality. That's why we do these things. Yeah, we can go through them. We can go through the motions. What's my only hope in life and death? I don't belong to me. You you can go through anything like that. You can go through your favorite worship song, your favorite hymn like that. Or you can engage in faith because you want the word to abide in you. And you want to bear the fruit of answered prayer. Ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be done because by this my Father is glorified and you will prove to be my disciples. Talk about a vision for your life. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me So I have loved you. Abide in my love. Can we just say love together? Love. If you keep my commandments. Oh, we didn't like that. Uh, What do we do with commandments and love? That doesn't seem to go together. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. We start talking about commandment keeping in church. We mostly think about it in the negative sense of thou shalt not. And so every time we read Jesus talking about commandment keeping, that's what we think about. It's all these rules, this, these behaviors that I've got to avoid in order to protect myself from punishment. That's not the Christian life. Right? When, when, when I do a wedding, I lead the couple in vows. And you're familiar with the vows. And every time, every ceremony, the couple vows to not pursue marital intimacy with any other human other than their spouse so long as they both shall live, right? But how sad is it when that's all that's keeping a couple together is the obligation they made to that vow? Because don't you also vow to love, honor, and cherish I'll tell you something right now I I, I don't want to sound prideful be careful you think you stand lest you fall but avoiding adultery is easy when I'm loving honoring and cherishing her so when Jesus talks about commandment keeping he's not talking about this dutiful compliance to rules in order for us to avoid punishment he's talking about a love saturated love filled relationship that spills over into obedience why because we love him Jesus didn't just command us listen 
He didn't just command us to avoid lust. He did command that. It's part of it. But he also commanded this in John chapter 7, verse 37. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and... In other words, take for example, when we do confession of sin and assurance of pardon. What are we doing? We're not just reading texts that lead us to just simply go, God, we're sorry that we messed up. Please don't be mad at us. We're, what we're doing is we are turning from sin where we have gone to find temporary pleasure that doesn't satisfy. And we're turning to the eternal soul thirst quencher. We're turning from sin that doesn't satisfy and we're turning to the one who can only and truly satisfy. And when the satisfaction of our souls is met in Jesus, that is an abiding, love-saturated kind of relationship that spills over into obedience. Not because we have to, but because we want to. I think the Christian life is... It's about transformed desires, not just following rules. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, my joy, my joy may be in you. That's, that's massive. My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Make no mistake about it. When we worship, whether the worship is through reading text, studying text in a small group, preaching, teaching, reading scripture in the middle of musical worship, a catechism, confession and repentance... This is the word of God for the people of God are coming to the Lord's table. When we do all of those things, here's what we're after. Joy. We're after joy. And not just fleeting circumstantial happiness. We're after Jesus' joy. Isn't that what he said? That my joy might be in you. Can I tell you some good news? God is really, really a happy God. If you've got this picture in your head of God as this angry old man who's frustrated at you and everybody and everything else, you need to dispossess yourself of that wrong notion. Do you know why God's happy? Because he always gets what he wants. <laughs> it's true. What does Isaiah say? He's the God who declares the end from the beginning. I will accomplish all my purpose. If the apex of righteousness, what is right, is your own glory, and everything in the created universe is serving that purpose, you're a really happy God. I know that raises questions for us on this side of eternity, but this is what the Bible teaches. Happy and hard, pleasurable and painful. All of it. Colossians, Paul says, he's going to reconcile everything to himself. He's a really happy God. He knows the end and he knows, guess what? He wins. 
and those who are in Christ win with him. What does Hebrews say? For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You know what his joy is? It's the joy he shares with the Father that everything is serving the Father's glory. And here's what Jesus says. I want you to share in my joy. The joy that led me all the way to the cross and through death and out the other side for the Father's glory. I want that joy to be in you because that joy is full, complete, and lacks nothing. We worship for joy. And what's sad to me is that in a lot of churches, worship has gotten dumbed down to either let's just try to focus on feeling good or it's only about how God's going to improve my circumstantial reality. And, and here's what I'm going to tell you. Emotions and feelings won't sustain you in and of themselves. And banking your faith on your circumstances won't either. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? A lot of things probably. But at the very least, isn't it that the truth of the gospel sets us free from despairing in the midst of trial? It sets us free from despondency when it seems like all the rugs are getting jerked out from underneath us naturally. And where do we go? Where do we find joy in all of that? We go to places like Romans 8 that say all things are working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. How many of you want the word to abide in you? How many of you want an abiding kind of relationship? So did my illustration work? It's not apples to apples. But there's enough there that we can at least get a sense of what it's like to abide in the true vine, right? To be true branches where his word abides in us and we worship for joy. We worship because we want to see him. We want to think rightly about him. We want to feel his presence. We want to sense him. We want to be led by him. We want to experience him and we want to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. We want to come to the place where we count it all joy in the midst of suffering because we know our God is happy and he's going to have his way. And in Christ, we get to share in that joy. Worship for joy. Whatever we do on Sunday morning, ask the Holy Spirit to help you engage it in faith, whether we're singing a song or we're reading a scripture or you're listening to teaching or one of the elders comes up and leads you and this is the word of God for the people of God or we're doing confession, assurance of pardon or you take advantage of something like the New City Catechism this week and you sit around the dinner table with your family or with your friends or with your children and you come, you come to that table and you rehearse together what is our only, only, only hope in life and death? 
We don't belong to us. We belong to him. And he's going to have his way. And there's my joy. There's my hope. There's abiding in love. It spills over into keeping commandments. Praise team, come on. Let's pray together. Jesus, I love, I love that this, this word of the living God commands us to worship. And it commands us to worship for joy. That's what I want. I want to worship for joy. If my joy can be found in you, if I can, if I can taste the joy that you share with the Father, if I could abide in you and your words abide in me and prayers could be answered for the glory of God and I could experience this love-filled relationship with you that spills over into obedience, that is rooted in the joy that I get to share with you, if I can have that, I think I know I will have discovered the purpose for which I exist so Lord help us bring us back to delight in you bring us back to that place and when this church worships my prayer is that we would worship in faith for joy and I thank you for this in your name amen we hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message and we would love to hear from you Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.